Welcome to the Sand Hills Media Ministry. We hope this production encourages and challenges you to live a more Christ-centered life. Amen. Amen. Thank you, my brother. Thank you. How are we doing? Okay, man. Okay. <laughs> Y'all hype. Amen. So check this out. So you came in this morning, you saw the tables out in the lobby. The reason being is that for the month of May, we're doing a service push. So we're focused on serving because we believe that living a Christ-centered life involves serving, right? Specifically in the church. And so with that being said, let's just pray and just jump right in the word. Amen. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that uh, you lavish your love on us, and we thank you for our worship time together today. As it pertains to serving, Lord, stir our hearts to action um, and be glorified as you always will be, both now and forevermore. In Jesus' name, who is the Christ, we pray. Amen. 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 So here's the thing. If you are a parent or a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, babysitter, educator, have ever been around kids, or maybe you used to be a kid. (laughs) What I'm about to say should come as no surprise to you. It is rare, unicorn rare, to see or to hear about an infant waking up in the morning solely concerned with meeting the needs of their parents. The truth is that most, if not all, kids are consumers. They take, and they take, and they take, and it's like that's their job is to take, right? For those of you laughing, you know, right? And so for them, it takes years of training and and growth. (laughs) And for them to mature, to learn what it means to serve other people first. Now, the truth is, many of us as Christians are the same way. Here's the thing. We make the decision to follow Jesus, and we're like infants. We're in learning mode. We're, we're in consumer mode. We take. We go to church, and we take. We want to read the Bible. We take, take, take. But at some point, as we grow, right, We should take the focus off of ourselves and learn what it means to serve others. It's a part of maturing in the faith. Um, And so, and then the more we mature, we begin to realize that God is inviting all of us as his children to serve him and serve others. And that should be the journey for all of us. However, there are some Christians who unfortunately are still stuck in uh, consumer mode. They're still stuck in just taking. For whatever reason, they're more concerned with taking than giving. They want to be fed, and that's their concern. Feed me the word, preach to me, sing to me, serve me. But when it comes to feeding others, eh, maybe. They're open to the idea of serving. Many Christians are, but there are some who who do not intentionally pursue serving in the church. Well, I want to suggest to you today from the life of Moses, a reluctant servant, uh, that God is inviting all of us as his children to serve. And there are five reasons at least why we are hesitant to do so. Now, for those of us who are here today who are not familiar with the life of Moses, let me give you just a snapshot, some background information. Number one, 
Moses grew up under the threat of death, okay? Number two, after escaping that threat, he is uh, adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, but yet he is raised by his own mother. It's kind of like a blended family situation. Fast forward in his life, he kills an Egyptian because the Egyptian is messing with one of his Hebrew people. The next day after that, he sees two of his Hebrew people having beef and about to fight each other. He confronts them. He gets rejected. And they say, are you going to kill us like you killed the, Hebrew, you killed the Egyptian? Moses thought what he did was in secret. Then he's like, oh, snap. You actually know what I did. Then Pharaoh finds out what Moses did. Moses is like, peace out. So Moses then flees uh, Egypt. He goes to Midian. And Midian, he becomes a shepherd. He marries his wife is hot, right? She's bad, right? They have children. They start having a family, right? He's doing his thing. Then one day, during the natural course of his life, he finds himself at this place called Horeb. It's the mountain of God. At the mountain of God, he meets an angel. Guess where the angel is? In a burning bush. The crazy thing about the burning bush, it's not being consumed by the fire. Moses is like, what's that? He looks in. God is like, gotcha. Divinely interrupts Moses' life. He says, look, I've come down to deliver the nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And I'm going to bring them to a land, right, flowing with milk and honey. God has not forgotten about his people. Moses is like, cool. I'm assuming he said cool, because I'd have said cool, because it's like a crazy moment. And then God says, okay, here's the plan. Exodus 3 verse 10 says this, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. So I'm thinking, as I was reading this, Moses would be like, yes, let's do it. But he doesn't. And the first reason he doesn't do it is because he's me-focused. He's me-focused. Let's look at Exodus 3, verse 11, his response to God. But Moses said to God, who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? That's a great question. Moses is like, who are you? Perhaps as we're eavesdropping on this conversation, Moses may be thinking, you know, God, it's been about 40 years since I've been in Egypt. Now you want me to go back? Like I've lost all my contacts. People have stopped following me on, on Instagram and Facebook. Like things are just kind of jacked up. And you know, Lord, I'm a little bit older now, so I can't walk as fast as I used to. I'm not really in fight shape anymore, so if I got to deal with some drama, I don't want to deal with that. I'm a little bit inadequate, maybe feel a little bit unworthy. And you want me to deliver the people? Who am I? As a matter of fact, God, don't you know I got a, I got a record? Like, I killed a guy. Like, and I still, I'm still dealing with that shame. Who am I? Lord, I went and tried to help those people back in the day. And your people rejected me. Why would I go back to help those people. I'm already dealing with the, the disgrace last time. Like, who am I? It's like Moses saying, why me, Lord? Why do you want me to serve you? Have you ever asked yourself a question like that? Where God is stirring you to serve, or somebody says, hey, I want you to serve here, or I want you to think about serving here, and then in that moment, you, who am I? You think about some poor choices you made in the past, Maybe you start thinking about some past struggles, maybe some current struggles. You think about your own inadequacies. inadequacies. You're like, I don't feel worthy to serve. And I've realized that some people are reluctant to serve in the church because their past is holding them hostage. There are Christians that are allowing their past to punish them. And it's hard to live out God's purpose today when you're stuck in your past or the guilt of your past. But this is what's crazy about it. Check this out. 
This would have been a great moment for God to really encourage Moses. I mean, if it was me, if you've ever come to see me discouraged, I will be the first one to hype you up, to motivate you, encourage you, to give you everything you need to go out and do your thing for the Lord. I'd have been like Moses. No, I'd have shortened his name up, because that's what I do. I'll shorten your name up. So I'd have been like Mo. His name, Mo. When you kill that Egyptian, you take all that energy, right? All that passion, and go do your thing. As hype as you were then, I need you to go. Mo, look, you are more than a conqueror, Mo. Mo, you're an overcomer, Mo. You're victorious, Mo. Come on, your best is yet to come, Mo. You got this, Mo. Believe in yourself, Mo. You can do it, Mo. God doesn't do any of that. Let's look at verse 12. This is what God does. He said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. God didn't say, come on, Mo. Go live out your destiny. Come on, Mo. Go live out your purpose. Come on, Mo. You got this. He said, I'm, I'm with you. And what I'm realizing is that it's unfortunate that we live in a church culture where just having God with us is not enough. We have to be motivated and constantly affirmed and encouraged to do what God is calling us to do. And what God is telling Moses, you don't need confidence in yourself. What you need is confidence in me and knowing that I'm with you. Because our self-confidence should be a byproduct of our confidence in God and knowing that he is with us. But in verse 12, God is even telling Moses what will happen before it happens. He says, your sign will be when the nation of Israel is serving me on this mountain. And God is trying to get Moses to recognize that the people will be delivered, not because of you, Moses, but because of me. And so we must recognize that when we serve, all that we do is based on the power of God, not on our own strength. And the problem is we live in a Christian culture where we put most, if not all, of our focus on us. And we put more focus on us. We look at serving sometimes as if we can't do it. But here in the text, what I love is that God is beginning to shift uh, the focus of Moses because God understands whatever you focus on is what fuels you. And here's what God knows. Moses, I know you've been hurt. You've been rejected. You're dealing with a lot of pain and trauma, and you wish you didn't have to go through all that. Uh, you wanted your time in Egypt to be a little bit different, but with all that you've gone through, Moses, with all of the pain and suffering you've had to deal with, I'm still going to send you to Pharaoh, not on your own confidence, but knowing I am with you. Because listen up, Mo, you will be rejected by Pharaoh. He will not believe you. And if you're focused on you and going on your own power and on your own strength, Moses, you will get discouraged. You will get hurt. But, Moses, if you focus on me as your foundation, not on your past, but on me as a solid rock you stand on and know that I'm with you, Moses, you'll be able to deal with Pharaoh, his people, their rejection, and all the other drama that's about to take place in your life. But you can only deal with it by knowing that I am with you. And know this, Moses, no matter who you think you are, or who people think you are, or what they think you are, or what you've done in your past, I'm still going to be with you. Same goes for us today. No matter who we are, who we think we are, what people think we are, or what our past is like, God says, I'm with you. 
And so when God invites us to serve, he invites us to put all of our focus on him. But let's look at the next reason why Moses was so reluctant to serve. Reason number two, I don't know your name. I don't know who you are. In Exodus 3, verses 13 through 15, it says this. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So again, as we eavesdrop on the conversation, Moses is probably mumbling on his breath. Man, look, these people have been slaves for a long time. They've been crying out. Nothing's happened. You ever cried out to the Lord? Nothing happens. They're in Egypt. And get this, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of my father, blah, blah, blah. There are a lot of gods in Egypt. They, and they all have names. So who do I say sent me? And it could be that Moses is not only asking for the people to hear, he also wants to know. Hey, they want to know your name, but I want to know your name too. Like, what's your name? Time out. In Exodus 3, before this, God has already told him who he is. In verse 6, he says, I'm the, God of the, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So why is Moses asking, then what's your name? Well, in the ancient world, there were names given to the gods, and this was a way of describing their character, their nature, their ability and power. For example, in ancient Egypt, you had Ra, who, who was the sun god, and he controlled the sun. You had uh, Jeb or Keb, and he was the earth god who controlled the earth. So during this time, there are many gods responsible for doing many things. So Moses is like, they don't just want to know who you are. They want to know what you can do. What's your name? What's your power? Oh, and by the way, I, I want to know as well. Here in the text, God is differentiating himself from other Egyptian gods. Now, let me say this as a side note, not necessarily dealing with the text per se. You see, sometimes people are reluctant to serve in the church because they serve different gods. You have the sports god, the job god, the kid god, the money god, or one that I really enjoy hearing about, the I'm tired and just want to stay at home god. That god gets a lot of attention. And it's hard to serve the god when we're serving false gods. But getting back to the text, there are also people who are reluctant to serve because although they know who God is, they don't know what God can do. Here in the text, God responds to Moses by saying, I am who I am. And with this name, God is affirming his self-existence. He's affirming his self-sufficiency that he is the ruler of all things. God is telling Moses, I don't need anyone or anything to do what it is that I need to do. I'm the one who never changes. Here, God is telling Moses that he is God. He is the creator and sustainer of all things, that he is a deliverer, that he is faithful and dependable. 
Which means God is, if God is sending you to serve Moses, then I am is with you. And because I am is with you, then you have the one who has all power by your side. And he will do what he says he can do, and he will have you to accomplish what he wants you to accomplish. And you won't fail, Moses, because I am is right there with you. The problem is, too often, when we serve, we try to do things in our own name. But there's no power in our names. The only power is in his name, and the more we know who God is and what he can do, it makes it easier to serve him. And I'm fully convinced that God is looking for people to serve him who don't just know him, but also know, or at least want to know, what he can do. He's looking for some folks that know he's a healer. He's looking for some people who know that he's a redeemer, that he is a giver of a second, third, fourth chance. He's looking for some folks when they're serving, got their backs against the wall, that knows that he's a way maker. When you're struggling, that knows that he's a sustainer. When you're broke and you're looking at your wallet and you know he's still a provider. When you're sitting there suffering and you know he's a comforter. When you're weak, that you know he's a helper. When you need him to snuggle up to you, you know he's a nurturer. When it's time for it to go down, you know he's a protector. When things are broken, you know he's a reconciler. When you got beef with other people, he's a peacemaker. That he's superior in all things. And if you want to sum it up in one name, you can just call him Jesus. Because when God invites us to serve in the church, he invites us to experience his power. But let's get to the next reason why some are reluctant to serve. Reason number three is a good one. It's a lack of trust. The conversation continues in chapter four. And in verse one, it starts like this. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. He said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Now Moses is still a little apprehensive. He's a little skeptical and probably somewhat afraid. You want me to go and convince an entire nation that you sent me? But what if they don't believe me? What if I'm ineffective? What if I fail? It's a great question. However, Moses, one of the biggest obstacles to trusting God and taking him at his word is fear. It's a fear of failure, the fear of rejection, you name it. But get this, this is what's crazy. In Exodus 3, verse 18, God already promised Moses that they would listen to him. In fact, God who knows the beginning from the end tells Moses precisely what will happen. And yet Moses in chapter 4 still doubts. And so the real issue boils down to trust. But God in his patience says, look, I've given you a promise. Now I'm going to give you a provision to confirm the promise. I'm giving you the staff. Oh, what, what, what's so important about the staff? Well, in these days, a staff or a rod was uh, sometimes a symbol of the power or authority derived from a god or from a deity. And so the staff was to show Moses and the people God's power at work. 
And why is this important? Because Moses is still struggling. Oftentimes people don't serve in the church, we're reluctant because we don't trust the word of God. We think, what if, what if I'm not good enough? Or what if I get it wrong? But in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, it says this. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the, in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Which means if you want to serve on the children's ministry or in the student ministry or safety team, your labor will not be in vain. You know, there's an old story, perhaps it's an urban legend, about a man who's walking on a cliff. And as he's walking, he slips and he falls off the cliff and he is headed for death. In an act of desperation, he reaches out his arm and grabs a branch miraculously. And as he's there, hanging on for dear life, he says, is anyone up there? Is anyone up there? Here's a voice. Yes, yes, I'm here. The man says, well, who are you? And the voice says, I'm God and I'm going to save you. And the man says, wonderful. What should I do? God says, let go of the branch. And the man pauses. Is anybody else up there? <laughs> Can somebody else help me out? The thing is this. We demonstrate real trust in God when we let go. We demonstrate trust in God when we let go of fear, doubt, discouragement, when we let go of us. So the question is, do we trust God in his word? Because when God invites us to serve in the church, he invites us to trust him. But let's look at the fourth reason why people tend to be reluctant to serve. Why are we reluctant to serve? Reason number four is the excuse. Oh, I love this one. Um, in Exodus 4, verse 10, it begins, but Moses said to the Lord, and here's how he probably said it, so funny. Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and tongue. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go. Remember that. That's very important. And I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Here in the text, Moses is so cute. He politely tells God, I don't have the ability to do the job you want me to do. And we don't know if Moses had a speech impediment, maybe he stuttered, or he just had a hard time talking to people. Maybe he's a, a really, really... Um, serious introvert but no matter what God is telling Moses you know I'm not really the man for the job I don't really have the particular skill set that you need for me to do this job and when Moses says this he has literally missed everything God has said prior to this moment look God already told him I'm going to be with you I've given you my promise I've given you the staff right I've told you I am that I am as a matter of fact you're looking at the burning bush that's not being consumed by fire. But with all this, Moses still doubts. And God simply responds by telling him, I made your mouth, I will be with your mouth, and I will teach you what to say. Therefore, go. Translation. 
even with all your deficiencies, Moses, it's going to be all right. I got this. Go. Now, if you notice in the text, God never, ever, ever disagrees with Moses about the facts of his condition. God is like, I know what your limitations are. I know the facts. But don't worry, because the truth is, it's going to be all right. I got you. The fact is Moses doesn't speak well. That is a fact. But the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, is that God still has the power to use him to deliver the people of Israel out of slavery. So now we're talking about facts and truth. Let's talk about truth. Because for the follower of Jesus, truth is an objective standard that is absolute in its origin. It's the standard by which we live as Christ followers. That means truth is not based on feelings, experiences, or desires. Right? Absolute truth for us as Christ followers should be based on God's view of a situation because according to Psalm 31 verse 5 and John 3, 33, God is truth, which makes him the originator of truth. Jesus said in John 8:32, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples. Then they will know the truth, not the facts. And the truth, not the facts, will set them free. Truth sets us free. Facts can keep us in bondage. The problem is that too often we look at the facts of our condition or situation and ignore the truth of God's view about our condition or situation. Let me give you an example. Here's a fact. For those of us in Christ Jesus, the truth is many of us still have some struggles. We still have some things that we wrestle with that we repent and we confess and we just, it's a daily thing. So we're broken. But the fact is that we've still been redeemed and made new. And we're being renewed each day. And God is calling us to live out the truth and not the facts of our brokenness. I'll say it like this. You and I, we cannot let our deficiencies define what God can do in us and through us. Think about this. Here's something to really just wrestle with. Whoever or whatever we allow to become our source of truth also becomes the architect of the life we live. We live life based on our source of truth. Moses here is caught up in, on focusing on Moses. He's not focusing on God. He's listening to himself. And if I could just be honest, there are times when I'm like, Malcolm, you got to stop listening to Malcolm. And if you're sitting here today, you might think to yourself, you know what? I got to stop listening to me. I listen to me way too much, and I need to listen to what God says about my situation. Sometimes you just got to stop listening to you. Yes, the fact is you aren't equipped to serve, but the truth is that God will provide what you need to serve. Go. It's okay. It's going to be all right. God's got this. Yes, the fact is you may not be qualified to serve, but the truth is that God will qualify you. It's going to be all right. Just go and serve. Yes, the fact is that you are busy on Sundays. You are tired. You already have commitments. But the truth is that God can restore your energy and clear up your schedule. It's okay. It's going to be all right. God's got this. Yes, here's the fact. You have a sketchy past. You've dealt with some abuse, some trauma. You may even ha maybe have a record. I don't know what it is. But the truth is that God says, 
Even with your sketchy past, with your record, the abuse, the trauma, the hurt, and the struggles, I can still use you to help someone else. It's okay. I got this. It's all right. Just go. And here's the thing. Yes, the fact is you may have a disability. And God says, I get that. That's the fact. But the truth is I can still use your disability to deliver someone else. It's okay. It's all right. I got this. So what's been the excuse? And there may be some facts in the excuse, but it's not the truth. Because when God invites us to serve, he is inviting us to be led by his truth. Now the fifth reason, and this way it gets juicy, is send someone else. Send someone else. Let's look at verse 13 in Exodus 4. But he said, oh my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is that not Aaron your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. Now, Moses has questioned God. He's given God reason after reason why he can't serve. And then Moses says, Lord, can you just send someone else? Urban translation, no disrespect, but I have to respectfully decline your invitation to serve. Someone else can do it. I'm going to go back to my boo. I'm going to go work with these sheep. I'm going to live my life. And you and this burning bush, you can do whatever you want to do. And the truth is, sometimes we do that to God. God stirs up in our hearts to serve. Like, you know, mm, I'm thinking maybe not God. And then when he stirs it up, Shortly after that, somebody says, hey, we want you to come serve here in the children's ministry. And we're like, you know what? I'm going to pray about that. And you and I both know when a Christian says, I'm going to pray about that, the answer really is no. We just don't know how to say no to somebody. I'm going to pray on that, and I'll get back to you. And then six months later, we go back to you. Hey, would you like to serve? We're like, you know you could just send someone else. Y'all got enough people. And God is like, come on, I want you to serve. No, they got enough people to serve. They don't need me. But if you notice in the text, with all the questions, with all the reasons, and with all the excuses, in this whole conversation, God gets angry at this point. But why does God get angry? Remember earlier I told you, hold on to the therefore go. That wasn't just a statement. He wasn't asking Moses to do it. It was a command. All that you said, bruh, go. Just go. And so when Moses says, well, please, Lord, just send someone else. In that moment, Moses is in direct disobedience and rebellion against God. And Moses is saying, I am not going to surrender to your will. Send someone else. And God is like, wait, what are we doing? This is what we're doing, Moses? Like, I've given you my word. You see the bush. Like, 
I've given you truth. I've given you promises. Yet you still won't surrender? Let's think about our own lives. And God is like, I've redeemed you. I've forgiven you. I've kept you when you didn't want to be kept. I've loved you. I've showed you my power. I got this bill paid for you. When you pray for this, this actually happened. I've done all this stuff for you, and yet you still won't surrender and serve? Here's the truth what I've learned over my time in ministry. You can go to church every Sunday. Every Sunday. You can read your Bible every day, cover to cover. You can pray, you can meditate, you can fast. You can come here Sunday morning and shout out hallelujah. You can dance and give God all the glory for everything. But if we don't surrender to his will and do what he's asking us to do, all of that means absolutely nothing. And you might be like, well, what you mean? What you mean? Like, how is that possible? Well, in Romans 12, it says that when we present ourselves as a living sacrifice, that is pleasing to God, and it is true worship. That's true worship. But it's tough because surrendering means dying to self. It means living for God and doing something that we think we can't do, and yet that's what God is inviting us to. But what I love about God is that even with Moses being disobedient and not wanting to do it, God says, okay, you don't want to come the easy way. I got another way for you. Let's go with Aaron. And I'm going to use Aaron. Problem is, Moses, what you don't know, Aaron's going to mess some things up in the future, but that's okay. I'm going to deal with that in the future, but right now I got to work with what I'm working with right now. So I got, I got Aaron. He's not my first plan, but we're going to work it out. But the truth is, you and I, we are God's first plan. He wants to use us in serving in the church in his kingdom. Because when God invites us to serve, he invites us to surrender. He invites us to surrender. If you're unfamiliar with basketball, given that we're within the NBA playoffs and the Sixers are struggling, but that's, that's totally irrelevant. Pray for them. <laughs> There's a phrase that is commonly used if you're out in the playground or you're in a recreation center. It's a phrase used when the game is over by the winning team. And the phrase is, who got next? It's an abbreviated version of the question, who is playing next? And it's often used by the winning team because they want to keep playing the game. Now, when that question is asked, the normal response is, I got next or we got next. It lets the winning team know the game is going to continue because we're here to play. God is asking, because he's on the winning team, Who's got next? Who's got next? Who's ready to get in the game? Because God is not concerned about us, us failing. He is concerned, however, with our inactivity. And Jesus, who served and ultimately served by dying on the cross, did not die for us to be inactive Christians. Because serving is a part of living the Christ-centered life. It is a part of the gospel. The gospel is uncomfortable because it calls for us to serve. 
And that's what Jesus did. So here it is. I wrestled with how I was going to approach you. And I thought about being nice and gentle because that's the kind of guy I am. However, if you're not currently serving and you're a member, a regular tender, you believe that you believe in the mission and vision of the church, which is to lead people to live Christ-centered lives. If you're not currently serving on a ministry team here at the church, after service, I want to encourage some and challenge others. Just a surrender. With all the stuff you got going on, surrender to God. Go in the lobby. There are three tables. There's one for first impressions. That could be welcoming people and serving on the hospitality team. And then you have uh, the, the family ministry table. That's working with and serving children and students. Uh, and then you have uh, the praise and worship and the audiovisual team. You could do that. Sign up to serve. Don't walk out of here thinking, okay, I want to serve, but let me go pray on it. Because we know what that means. That's hesitation. And God is already telling you, go. Be the one that God uses to bless, deliver, encourage, and disciple others all for his glory. God is saying, who got next? Our only response should be, I got next. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this lesson from Moses, the reluctant servant. And even with all of his reluctancy, he still said yes, and he served. And you did some amazing things through him. Father, would you use us to serve in a way where we can bless people, encourage them, deliver them, pray for them, disciple them, and help them to be all that you called them to be. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.